Hi, I'm Jessie, your host of the Jessie Williams podcast. I'm a personal trainer and women's online health coach, bringing you all things health, wellness, money, mindset, and just life in general. If you want to learn, laugh, and up-level your life, this is a podcast for you. Each episode, we'll talk habits, tips, tricks, and big ideas to nourish your mind and inspire you to create your dream life by design. Let's dive in. Hello, Oscar. Welcome to the show. Hello, Jesse. Thank you for having me <laughs> on your show. Ah, oh, this is so funny. This is going to be a great nice time. Nice to be here. <laughs> the lovely lounge. Lovely Sunday afternoon. So I feel like for, there were a lot of questions that came through with people asking, I guess, about your story, how you got where you are today, all about your journey and stuff like that. But I also feel like there's so much information readily available online, like super in-depth about your story, everything for anyone who's interested in like a really in-depth insight into Oscar's journey, all the highs and all of the lows, I would recommend going to his Instagram just at Oscar Ledlin and you can view his highlights there. Um, And also he was featured on the, is it No Limits podcast? Mm -hmm. Yeah, No Limits podcast um, with Leo, which was like a two-hour video podcast episode, which is absolutely amazing and really, really in-depth. So we're not going to fully expand on that today. But for anyone who's just tuning in and is maybe new to... For anyone who hears some weird sounds, we do have the dogs in the lounge room with us, so I do apologize. Um, but for anyone who's maybe new to you and your story, can you give us like a snapshot if we could look at a trailer into your, I guess, business journey, mm-hmm. ticking along where did you start versus where are you at now and what kind of happened along the way? Yep. So I started as a concreter um, through school and uni working for my dad who had a concreting business. And then I, um, I did a business degree. When I finished my degree, I decided that I didn't want to be in concreting. Um, Dad could keep his concreting business uh, to himself. I wanted nothing to do with it. So I decided to get into property development. And uh, while working for Dad, um, I started a company called Leadland Developments and um, slowly built that up until it got to the point where um, we shut Dad's concrete company down because I didn't want to take it over and um, he didn't want to do it forever. So yeah and now we're a commercial company we only do commercial stuff so we don't do houses or apartments or anything like that Uh, we do business parks warehouses offices strata storage yeah we have a small team um there's five of us and um yeah awesome so normally i would love to ask you some of my own questions but we got so many in the question box that i'm just going to dedicate this whole episode to other people being able to have the opportunity to ask you questions um because i have the pleasure of picking your brain anytime i like so we'll start with a few quick ones like really fast ones to just get those um out of their way because they're going to be short and sweet and i feel like some will take um, a bit more time to dive into So a couple of ones that came up, there are a few people that actually asked about your favorite books. Um, What are some of the favorite books that you've read that you feel have added value? Uh, I think the most impactful book that I ever read was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, which is like um, a very renowned book in the business entrepreneurial space. It's really, it's a really easy read. And if you run a business of your own, then already, then there's probably not huge value in it, but Um, I think there's a lot of really fundamental and just basic business and entrepreneurial concepts to to just help start a foundation and build the framework of um, 
what money is in our Western world and what it isn't, some of the misconceptions and, and that sort of thing. And another one um, would probably be Aubrey Marcus's Own Your Day, Own Your Life, I think it's called, which wasn't hugely impactful on me because a lot of the stuff that Aubrey talks about I already implement in my life, but um, I think there's there's huge value um, in in what he says and some of the stuff that I already do, but what he he talks about. So those are my two favorites. Yeah, I'm currently and the Bible and the Bible. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm currently a few chapters into own the day, own your life as well, and be prepared to have a little bit of your ego tested and some triggers pushed, especially with stuff about cold therapy and things like that. That's something that you implement that I really struggle with and I don't want to look at. So, (laughs) but I agree. It is a good book. Um, cool. Let's crack into some of the other questions. So, um, this one came from Melanie. How do you stay motivated in times that you genuinely don't want to work? I really don't. I think motivation is like, Motivation is incredible and it's like, it's a really, really great feeling when you can share it. Like I'm really proud to sometimes be able to share motivation because I know how good it can feel when we feel motivated, but in your day-to-day life, I think motivation has like such a little impact on um, your success and your happiness, but particularly like talking business focused, motivation doesn't really help me at all. It's discipline that, that really helps me. So Discipline being like when I wake up, if I'm having a bad day and I really don't want to do the tasks that I have to get up and go do, I do them anyway because I've built a certain level of um, discipline uh, in my character, I guess you'd say. And I think that's what really um, helps define define a person's success, not just in business, but in in anything they pursue. So I think we need to focus less on motivation and um, strive more for discipline. I love that answer. And I think that that was, (laughs) that's on there for everyone. Oh my gosh. Love you too. Um, So I think, yeah, that's a really good answer because exactly it applies so much to business. (laughs) For anyone listening who is a regular listener and I often speak about er other areas of health and personal development, relationships and things like that. And I think it applies to everything as well. Like in a relationship when you're tired and you don't feel like giving to your partner and stuff like that. Don't make a joke about it. Um, But yeah, still having the, it it sounds funny to have discipline in a relationship, but yeah, having the discipline to show up for them in your health and stuff like that. Motivation is fleeting, but being able to be disciplined enough to continue to strive towards your health goals and things like that, even when you're not feeling motivated. So I think it does apply to every area as well. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Jordan, was your business degree beneficial for you when you first started your business? I don't think so. Um, I'm like business degrees or the business degree that I did at Monash anyway was like it was 100% theory based so I think for the first half of my degree I was so focused on getting good grades that I, I, I was focused on performing in um, tests and exams and assessments and stuff like that that I didn't really focus on learning the material and understanding the material properly Towards the back end of my degree, I think I learned a lot more because um, I decided that I was going to pursue my own thing. So um, the grade wasn't going to be what mattered. It was 
learning and retaining and being able to implement um, the knowledge was what was going to matter most. So I sort of made this shift from I need to remember, rehearse, and then regurgitate the information until I really need to get a fundamental understanding of what this course is trying to teach me. But overall, I don't think I learnt or put as much value in the degree as the time and money that um, it cost. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that even not for a business degree, but I feel like that applies to like majority of uni degrees as well. Yeah, like I the, think uni education is really overrated. Yeah, but, um, absolutely. I think that's sort of becoming more more known than what it was five or ten years ago. Mm. Fuck, ten years ago. Shit, I yeah. am old. <laughs> uh, awesome. Cool. Should you focus on one business or not keep your eggs all in one basket? That's a good question. Um I mean, if you're talking about investing, then I think multiple businesses in multiple sectors is a very wise investment strategy. Like, I think now's the perfect example of that. If you were heavily invested in some sort of travel business, um, an entertainment, uh, sorry, a um, events business, your, your investment would be performing incredibly poorly. So I think it's very wise to be sort of divested across multiple sectors um, for stuff like that. But if you're talking about your own business and um, starting something for yourself, then I think you really need to focus on one thing. Like it'll take every ounce of you to start a business and get it to a point where, you know, it's something that you're proud of and and generating good money and uh, making an impact on, you know, its stakeholders and stuff like that. Think to do that you need to to go all in on one business i think too many of us including myself get shiny object syndrome and you know we we focus on one thing and then we get another idea and we want to pursue that and then we're introduced to someone else so we want to do something with them and we bounce around so often uh, so frequently that um we don't get time to sort of get really intimate with either one business or, or one product service whatever um so yeah i think we need to make a focus on sticking to one particular not one particular product, but definitely one particular business for, for the time being. Yeah, absolutely. Even even with myself, I know we had a conversation about that. Even within my one business, having too many offers and services available can really deter me from being able to hone in on my, my one service that I offer and be able to nail that rather than just doing okay at so many different offers. So yeah. even within the one, one business, um, offering too much can have the same sort of effect as running too, too many businesses as well. Cool. A question came in. How do you learn to handle stress? I think like anything else, you, one, you, you try and learn, learn about it from like what it is biologically, um, chemically, uh, what causes it in your life. Um, you know, th- there's plenty of books and, um, there's coaches for stress. There's a lot on YouTube. So I think it's like anything that, um, you know, you, you need to learn about it as much as you can and the theory behind it, but then probably even more impactful or maybe beneficial is to put yourself under stress. So, you know, we learn, we're, we're creatures that learn through experience. So the more time you spend under stress, um, the, the more you'll be able to cope with it, I guess. Stress has so many bad, like a lot of negative health effects. And of course, like a lot of mental side effects. Um, it's hugely impactful in our lives. So um, you don't just want to like put yourself under stress for no reason. But I think if you can consciously align or like really 
make the connection between the stress and your why, well then you really just have a little bit of pressure on your purpose. And I think that's something totally different. If, if you're laying awake at night thinking like, you know, I've got all this stuff to, to do tomorrow. I don't know how I'm going to get it done. What if I don't get it done? You know, that's stress. But if you just sort of rewire your thoughts a little bit and you think like, I've got all this stuff to get done tomorrow because I'm trying to make an impact on the people around me and I'm trying to, you know, make something that I'm proud of and, I, and I'm trying to save the whale, save the dolphins, you know, create affordable housing, whatever you're trying to do, but, but your fundamental why, if you tie your stresses to that, I think that um, just consciously you'll be able to make them a little bit more bearable. That's such an awesome answer. And I oh, thank you, Jesse. <laughs> I actually love what you said, and I've never heard that before. And I don't know if your your intelligent brain just whipped that out or if you've heard it somewhere along the line, but pressure on your purpose. Like that's so well put because I see so many people, even on Instagram now and social media and stuff, that are really, really pushing slowing down and go slow and business doesn't have to be hard and you don't have to push all the time and things like that. And part of me questions like I see a lot of people scared to push, but I'm like, are you scared to push because it's not aligning so much with your purpose? Because I look at me and there's a lot of times where I'm under stress and people really shy away from that. Whereas I think people don't understand. I don't mind being under my level of stress because it's pressure on my purpose, which I've never even considered it that way, but that's just like hit really, really close to home. And if I look at back when I was working in corporate and stuff like that, when I was stressed working in my corporate job, yeah, absolutely. I would be saying, you know, slow down, make sure you don't take your work home with you and things like that because it, it wasn't my purpose. Whereas the level of stress that I have now is so much more aligned for me and something greater that I get value from the stress. But coming back to that book that you actually recommended before that that I said that I'm starting now, which is Own the Day, Own Your Life, that actually talks about adding acute stress as well, which so again, check out that book, guys, if, you, um, if you're read. interested. Yeah, if you can read. Otherwise, audio all the way. Um, strategies on combining. So this is a question regarding couples strategies on combining money to save together or have separate savings and spendings. Um, maybe you can talk more about this one, but we like, we don't join our money at all. I mean, our rent is the only thing that we somewhat like join our money with, but outside of that, like we have very uh, individual savings and spendings and income and stuff like that. So, I mean, do you want to add anything to that? No, I think, yeah, exactly like what we're you not, said. Probably not really yeah. qualified to answer that question. Yeah. And even I, I think one of the best things is that we don't over strategize it. Like I wouldn't honestly, I wouldn't really know. I don't know how much you you would spend day to day. I mean, I know you eat breakfast out every single day and I, do, I don't really care, to be honest. I don't, how as long as you're spending your money in a way that feels aligned and if you want to save, you want to save, like letting, I think we let each other be our own person is the bottom line. And so how you spend your money isn't up to me and how I spend my money isn't up to you. And if I was to ask you about, how to utilize my money and opened that conversation would be all in it, but it's not something where we would invite ourselves into the other person's money. I think. No, not unless we felt we needed to, and then we would communicate. It's, I yeah. guess it's like, it's probably getting a little bit off topic, but it's like anything. If, if you were spending your time on something that I felt that like for whatever reason, I didn't 
align with or I wasn't happy about, I wouldn't like, I, I would talk to you about that and, and either you would see why it's seen, understand why it's making me feel uncomfortable or I would understand why you're doing it and then I wouldn't feel uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. I think money like can largely be the same if you're, if you're trying to partner with somebody and spend your money together or save together or whatever. I think it's all about communication, but um, in particular to the question, no, we don't, we don't have shared savings or spendings mm-hmm. or anything like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and I think like it just comes down to one of the things that we were talking about before we started recording this is that we're both not big on savings either, which I think will come come back into the podcast on one of the questions perhaps later. But yeah, we're both not don't highly value savings. I think that's a big reason why, whereas I think a lot of other couples who have high value on savings would probably be having more discussions like that. Like how do we maximize saving our money? And that's just not really a priority for us. So mm. um, yeah, probably not, not the best people to ask with that particular question. Cool. Would you ever mentor someone? Um, I mean, I somewhat mentor a few people, like a few people on a recurring basis, but um, a lot of people on a very short-lived question basis. Like I get a lot of people ask me for advice and um, first thing I do is tell them that I am not fit for, for, to offer advice in any way, shape or form. I'm not a role model. But then I um, go on to tell them like another perspective to their problem and sometimes add some value that they can take away. And, and I'm always like, I get a, um, a lot of messages on Instagram and for whatever reason, um, a lot of people around me like to seek maybe not advice, but just another perspective on, on stuff that they're dealing with. And I'm always happy to, um, share my, my thoughts. If, if I'm invited to do so, I'm quite an opinionated person and I'm like always happy to share uh, my feelings on something, even if they don't align with the person who's asking for them. Um, but as far as committing to a mentorship or something like that, I'm, um, I'm, I'm not really, I'm not doing that at all at the moment. And it's not, um, something that I'll be doing in the immediate future, but it's something that I really plan to do longer term. Mm. Yeah, good answer. And I can I can vouch for I don't know as many people who would like the the time that you put in and the thought that goes into every reply in your DMs is like I have so much level of respect for you know you wouldn't just reply to someone to get a reply over with like you generally put so much thought into every answer, which I think is really valuable. I love this question. Knowing what you know now, if you were 21, what would you do with $50,000? What I would do with, I probably wouldn't change much. Like we all say, oh, no regrets and all that sort of stuff. But I mean, looking back, I took some pretty, I took some very large risks, but only because I committed to stuff that I didn't really know much about and I didn't see it as a risk at the time just because I had this underlying confidence that I will never give up and if you never give up you can't fail but to offer advice to somebody else it's really hard because it depends so much on their individual circumstances like if if you want to start a business well then I would put like 50 grand in my mind 50 grand is enough to start any business like it doesn't matter if you could start a bank with 50 grand but if you're not an entrepreneurial aspiring person and you know you really value security well then I would keep that 50 grand under your bed or in a bank or you know somewhere where you've got access to it if you need it for an emergency and and security is something that you really value 
it just really depends on the person's individual circumstances. But for me, if I had 50 grand, I would do exactly what I did when I was 21 and I had 50 grand. And that is use it to um, the best of my ability, leverage it as far as I can and um, start a business that I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Do you have to have any building qualifications to build commercial warehouses? You certainly do in a larger sort of scale. Um, similarly to domestic building, uh, you can own a build. If you purchased a commercial, commercially zoned property and you wanted to build some sort of commercial building, um, you could do an owner builder building permit, which is pretty much just says that you're going to build it yourself but you won't get funding from anywhere. Well, when I say from anywhere, you won't get funding from any bank to do that because they'll say you're not qualified to do it. Um, so they don't have, a, you know, you don't have enough credibility to deliver on the project and that sort of thing. So um, you can definitely do an owner builder if you're sneaky. Like a very close friend of mine, he did 30 as an owner builder when he was much younger and better looking. But um, if you're going to do it long term, then you definitely need a builder's license. If you're going to build for anyone else, then you certainly need a builder's license. Mm-hmm. Cool. Best way to get yourself out there as a small business? Under promise and over deliver. I think uh, as a business, you know, we can tell 10 people how awesome our product is, how awesome our service is, how awesome our company is, and it will not go anywhere. But if you have one customer that tells somebody, you know, how awesome or how uh, amazing your brand or your product or your service is, that will go 10 times further than, than your company or brand telling it themselves. So I think if you um, really over deliver on whatever it is that you're doing, word of mouth is like the most impactful and incredible branding strategy I think there is. Yeah, I love that. I heard from a, um, not one of my own, but from a business coach somewhere along the line, she talked about how so many people hold themselves back when they're, they've got a small business and they don't do anything that they can't do when they scale. And she said that she always talks about doing the opposite yeah. in do absolutely everything you can do until you have to scale. So from like a coaching space, someone would be like, well, I'm not going to send a handwritten letter to every client who signs mm. up with me because when I'm, you know, working with a hundred clients, like I just can't do that. We'll do it until you've got a hundred clients, like, because that's what's going to create that word of mouth and that ripple effect and stuff like that. So yeah, I really, really admire that. Where should people put their money? Home, investment properties, business properties, etc. I think again, like this is like hard to advise on because it's so dependent on the person's individual circumstances. I strongly recommend um, investing in your home. I think that a home is such a personal and emotional um, attachment. And I think that if you, if, you, if you go out to buy your home and you look at it as an investment, you're either going to get a shitty investment because you're, emotion, you're purchasing emotionally or you're going to get a shitty home because you're purchasing with investment goals. So I think that like, you know, I, I want to own my home and, um, you know, my vision for a mansion and all that sort of stuff um, is really strong and, and I'll definitely purchase that one day, but it won't be an investment. I think if you're looking for an investment, then you're best off, you know, renting and then investing in either like residential property or commercial property or business or stocks or whatever, 
but I think too many people um, have been told for generations that, you know, buy your home, you know, that's what's going to make you money and, and stuff like that. But um, I think that so many people get caught out because um, they mix up that investment emotional um, aspect and, and our homes, too many things can change. You know, we want to move, we want to upgrade, we want to downgrade. We, we have kids, we get dogs, we get divorced. You know, to have your main investment tied in with all those personal and emotional aspects, I think is um, a huge misconception in Australia and um, a lot of the, the Western world, but particularly, you know, with the Australian dream. Um, outside of that, uh, I think commercial property, as in the retail sector, I think the retail sector has been do, has, has been destined for uh, decline for the last 15 years. I think the internet is just ruining retail. Um, so that's something that I would advise not to invest in. A lot of people will, but I'll never invest in retail. I think the industrial space, you know, I'm obviously a huge advocate of the industrial space and I won't go too much into it given the audience of this podcast, but um, I am hugely optimistic for the future of um, business parks, um, strata office, that sort of thing. So that's awesome. Buy a factory off me. <laughs> you won't regret it. That's, that's my current goal right now. I'm actually saving. I'll eventually, well, the idea is to buy one of Oscar, Oscar's factories. And I think that speaks volumes of one, our relationship, but also how much I really, really admire Oscar's like strategy and knowledge when it comes to where to invest your money and stuff like that. So for me, I'll be doing my, my first, I don't have any aspiration to buy my first house. I mean, you got that cover, babe, but hmm. no, I, either way, I just don't have the aspiration, but, um, I do aspire to one day be able to invest in um, the industrial because that's just where I feel that you have advised me to get the most value from. Mm. Coming back to the, the house thing though, touching back on that, I think that's a really good oh, point. Oh, you want to come back? I want to come back. I want to come around? back. Yeah, I want to, I want, let's you turn. Because I feel like a lot, of, a lot of my audience will really get a lot of value out of this. And I completely agree. And so even going back to us moving out into our very, very first house, like the first time we both moved out of home, we moved in together. That was like our very first time. And like hand over heart, I would say a lot of people, how old, how old would have we been when we moved out? I think I would have been 26. Yeah. Or even 25. 25. And I would have been 23, 20. Yeah. I don't think many people would have had the house we had in the location we had, had we bought it. Like we, we couldn't have lived in that house. We're like, we couldn't have bought that house. Well, like just in terms of looking at, you know, buying it, stamp duty, the mortgage repayments, all of that kind of stuff, like a house, like 200 meters from the beach in Mornington and stuff like that. But because we were leasing it, something broke wasn't our problem. Like not that much broke, but it's just like, and then not paying stamp duty and not paying rates and all that kind of stuff as well. Touching on that, something that I, I know you would have heard before, I've heard, I think everyone listening to this podcast would have heard before, is that saying where you hear people say, you know, why would you pay, why would you pay off someone else's mortgage when you can live in your home and be paying off your own mortgage? Like renting is like dead money because you're just investing, you're just paying someone else's mortgage off for them. Can you speak to that? Like what what's your I mean, what's your thoughts on I that? can, like it's um it's something that I, like, I did a big thing on Instagram um, last year on it and it, like, it went crazy because like, there were so many op 
opposing views on it. And then there were so many people who they had the same views, but they had, you know, people that they held really close to them that had, you know, very opinionated opposing views to it. So, but basically, I mean, I don't believe in buying a home for like the the emotional reasons that I mentioned before, or or more so the personal reasons like, you know, us, or or for me, I've lived in in nine homes in 10 years, you know, Um, I moved homes with my family and then, you know, I had a sibling with their partner home, they had a baby, so more space and then they moved out and then less space and then, you know, we had family separation so then we moved and then um assets had to be sold and and all these sort of things if if we were moving so frequently and my family was buying and selling houses there's just incredible amount of um difficulties and costs associated with doing that and for us you know we're in our second home already we had the opportunity our house that we rented um we moved in only a month after it had been sold. So we knew exactly what it could have been purchased for because somebody purchased it um, before us. And then after we'd been living in there for 12 months paying rent, our neighbor who we lived in a duplex, so an identical house to ours, they sold their house. So we seen firsthand how much money we would have lost if we had bought that house and we were moving out. And we wouldn't have been in a position to do that because the, the market had softened and the housing values had gone down. So the house had had effectively dropped $150,000 in value, but you know that's not how much that it would have cost us because we would have to pay stamp duty going into it. Um, and then we would have had to pay a sales agent coming out of it. So you know, you're, you're talking $170,000 if we had purchased that house and not rented it. So we wouldn't have done that. We wouldn't have gone, oh, we're just gonna lose $170,000 and move down the corner, around around the corner down the road to another house in Mornington. We would be going like, fuck, we better stay here. So then we're making huge impacts on our life because we chose to buy, not to rent. So, you know, we want to get a dog, so we want to get a backyard, so we want to move this house, but now we can't move from this house because we're, we're in this shitty situation. So, you know, if we wanted to have a kid, well, we would have been like, oh, well, this house is too small. Um, we better either put that off or get cozy, you know, so I think the impacts of that can be huge. But from purely a money point of view, that house think cost us about $800 a week to rent. No, not even. It was like, Wasn't it? No, it was like... How much does this house cost? I don't know. Anyway, whatever. The, the, say the house costs $28,000 a year to rent. If we had taken $250,000 of our savings and put it as a deposit and then borrowed the rest, even with interest rates as low as they were at the time, the interest on that loan would have been $27,000. So it's costing us a few thousand dollars more to pay just the interest on that loan. And then throwing on top of that, we would have had to pay stamp duty at the start. Um, and then every time something broke, the air conditioner broke while we're in there. Um, we had the hot water system broke while we're in there. The front area used to flood. Um, and we've seen now that um, we've moved out that the owners had to fix that. So rates, you know, rates in that location are incredible. So, you know, you're talking over the, the period that we were there, tens of thousands of dollars that would have cost us um, to be in that home more than um, what we could afford to rent it for. And what people say is, yeah, you know, you pay more now, but then you get capital growth out of the property and stuff like that. But um, that house, you know, that we moved into two and a half years ago is worth considerably less Mm -hmm. today than what it was then. So, I mean, this whole prophecy that 
residential property only goes up and stuff like that. It's definitely true. That house will be worth in 10 years time, will be worth a lot more than, than what we paid, what we could have paid for it two and a half years ago. But I don't want to be there for 10 years. So, um, yeah. and I don't want that to have such an impact on my life. So, yeah. sorry for ranting. No, I, lo- I love that because I get asked all the time and I always just say, look, I can't answer this as well as Oscar will be able to answer for it. And I give a very short, not so detailed answer, but I completely agree. And it's not to say don't invest, but it's just saying that your money tied up in the place of your living where exactly as you said, where you're emotionally attached and it could actually influence your greater life isn't necessarily the best move because then you've invested emotionally and and not logically so that's why we would rather rent be be less tied up not be paying all of that century not have all our money tied up there and that gives me the opportunity to save more money to invest somewhere else like in buying one of your factories or in the industrial space and so i'm still you know i'm still investing i'm still making money it's just that i'm not making money off my place of living which is going to have such a huge impact on on my life yeah yeah, it's called rent vesting. If you um, if you want to look it up and and learn a little bit more about the numbers behind it, you know the the explanation that I gave was largely around like not investing emotionally and and not um, letting your investments impact your um, your personal life and stuff like that. Other people look at it with a much more numbers base and say you know um, rent where you want to live and then invest in areas with higher growth and stuff like that. So, but it's it's widely studied and and there's a lot of educational resources out there for for it if you want to look um, more into it but yeah it's called rent vesting awesome so a question has come through which says i own an owner's corporation management firm i want to scale up do you have any advice yeah i think um you need to look at firstly what's limiting you scaling your business if um, you need more financial resources to scale your business. You need you need money. Then I think you need to figure out what do you have access to. Can you go to the bank? You know, do you have savings that you can use? Do you own your home? Can you leverage that? Um, if you need more human resources, then um, you know, then you should look into that. If you need more customers, then you need to take like a marketing uh, or an advertising approach. So I think you just really need to look at what's limiting you from scaling your business and then really deep dive into that area and um and then no no doubt that will that'll shift if you need more financial resources to scale your business you get those and your business starts scaling well then you'll be like shit i want to keep scaling i've got enough money but i need more human resources so then you know i think it's a perpetual problem um and it's just about like focusing on what's the limiting factor at the time and then um keeping keeping on looping back to that Awesome. Cool. I've just looked how many more questions there are and there are so many. So I'm going to be a bit more picky and choosy now. Um, I'll just be fast paced. I'll just put myself on one and a half speed. <laughs> anyway. This is me on one and a half speed. <laughs> Anyone listening, Oscar listens to audiobooks on 1.5 speed. So they talk like... Time is money. <laughs> time is money. Yeah. So funny. There are heaps of questions, so I'm going to mush lots of questions into one question because there's lots of stuff about just tips for starting. Don't don't laugh at me. You're laughing because I said mush. No, I said tip. <laughs> tip. Oh, God, you're such a child. Um, a all right, cool. Yeah, so there are lots of questions about tips for starting your own business, advice, things you wish you knew before they started and how to fund it and would you go in with friends or family. So do you just have any general tips for starting your own business? Uh, yep. I think passion is huge. I see like there's a bit of a debate, um, that I see or, or two, um, 
schools of thought on this. Some people say like, you know, don't get emotional, focus on the numbers and all that sort of stuff, which I agree with. But I think um, if you're going to start a business, you really want to start it in an area that you're passionate about. Second thing that I would tell anybody starting a business is to go fucking big. So if you start a small business and you decide that you want to turn, you want to do three hundred thousand dollars a year in sales, and you want to have, uh, you know, you want to work from home, you want to have one employee that works from their home, that small business will consume you. You will put every spare dollar that you have into it. You will lie awake in the middle of the night thinking about it, and it will completely consume every ounce of you. If you decide that you want to just go really fucking hard and you know you want a business that does 30 million dollars in sales and you want to have 15 staff across two offices and you know you want to have a huge impact you will put every dollar that you have into that business you'll lay away thinking about it at night and it will consume you so if you're going to be doing that you know if you're going to be completely consumed by something then i i say you know set the bar high for yourself and um and and go hard at it because Big or small, business is fucking tough and um, it will take over your life. So you might as well go hard. Mm, Absolutely. When securing bank loans for property investing, do you use your personal name or family trusts? Family trusts or individual trusts for, um, for each property. So if you group your properties into one trust, well then, uh, hello, you Caroline. If you put uh, multiple properties in the one trust, then you'll get um, hit with higher land tax bills. So um, you should have individual trusts depending on the value of the properties, but um, put them in their own trust and uh, never put anything in your personal name for uh, corporate liability. Awesome. Do you have a mentor? I do. I have a number of mentors and I've had a number of mentors in um, varying different capacities. So... I've had mentors where it's very much a mentor-mentee relationship and you know I meet with them and I just fire off questions and, and seek advice and um, you know it's a very commercially valuable uh, interaction for me. Um, I have people that I do business with, older and more experienced people than me that, that I do business with and you know there's an unspoken mentor-mentee relationship. You know, they're older, wiser, more experienced, they can share a lot of that with me. So I have a lot of that in, in my business environment. And then outside of that, I have a lot of really fucking cool friends. So um, I, I have a lot of friends, each doing incredible things in all different um, realms of their life. You know, some are, you know, I've got one, he's an incredible dad and, you know, he, he shows up to everything he does. He's, he's an incredible friend you know he's an incredible businessman and he's a, he's a great partner and he finds time to be an incredible dad and you know i learn a lot from him for for, for future for future stuff um if you want babies do you want babies we'll talk about that later <laughs> and then you know i have i have another mate who he can just he shows up to any environment and he's completely himself it doesn't matter if he's fucking on stage on tv uh you know it's a one-on-one hangout like he just shows up and he does not give a fuck what anybody thinks about him. So, um, you know, he's a mentor and I learn a lot from him. And, you know, I have other friends that are doing incredible things in business. And, you know, we have a lot of structured conversations around business and I learn, you know, a heap from them. But I think mentors, you know, people ask me all the time, like, will you mentor me and stuff like that? And I, I say, I say, you know, I, I don't have the time. I can't commit to that. But 
you know, you don't need a direct <laughs> relationship with somebody. Franklin, what are you barking at? Frankie, come here, buddy. <laughs> come here. Come on. It's okay. Yeah, I think, you know, um, I could say Elon Musk is my mentor and people would be like, fuck, how do you know Elon Musk? I'm like, I don't, but I read his books, you know, I study how he conducts himself, I follow him on social platforms, you know, like, you don't need a direct relationship with someone um, to be your mentor and you don't need to take everything from someone directly to have them as your mentor. You know, you can have somebody who's shitty in business but have other facets of their life that you really aspire to. So you can take that as well. So you don't need to find the holy grail of people that you want to be like. Um, you can pick and choose what you take from your interactions. Absolutely. So Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love what you said about some, someone doesn't have, like they don't even have to know that you're mentor for them to mentor you. I remember having one of my business coaches t- told me about how Gabrielle Bernstein, who's like a huge spiritual guru, I guess, um, for anyone who knows her, said that um, Gabrielle Bernstein was her mentor. And I was like, oh my God, like how did you get Gabrielle Bernstein to mentor you? That's amazing. And she's like, I, I just let her mentor me through reading her books, listening to her stuff. And I was like, wow, yeah. And she's like, anyone can, yeah, same, same sort of advice, which is a really cool concept. And I think it helps like removing the limitations of, oh, that person won't mentor me or something like that and allowing them to. Um, was age ever a barrier for you in terms of being too young? If yes, how did you overcome it? Oh, good question. Yeah, um, huge barrier for me. Uh, particularly in my industry, like my industry is a very, um, um, very corporate, very older, um, populated industry. But I mean, there's particular circumstances where where I overcome it through, um, I don't know, not deceiving, but just like alluding to being older, and you know, like I use my dad in in. Um, a lot of instances like in meetings and stuff like that to sort of um, be be a face for the meeting before he directed directed the the meeting to me for, for me to do my thing um, that was earlier on and that was probably more so because I didn't have the confidence that I could combat these limiting beliefs of other people or, or their prime misconceptions about age and um, ability and stuff like that but as my confidence developed um, I really just let my credibility hold the interaction more than I did my age and and that was like a task and that was something that had to be very strategic about I couldn't I couldn't show up in a meeting and then get straight to the point because they're sitting there wondering you know how the fuck is this kid in this meeting talking tens of millions of dollars so I would come into the meeting and, and I would really frame the conversation about um where I've been where I've come from what I've built up and let them ask questions and then really frame the story to help build credibility uh, about what I'm doing you know I don't walk into a meeting with a real estate agent to buy property for 15 million dollars and and just say you know here's my offer of 14.5 million because he will look at me like this kid doesn't have 14.5 million dollars where I sit down and I talk and I say you know I talk about my plans for the property what my due diligence is as I'm covered you know some of my prior experiences what that brings to this meeting and and, and really open up a conversation and, and within 10 or 15 minutes, this guy's sitting there like, this kid's fucking 100 years old, he's got to be. So um, I think I, I've just learned to establish some credibility um, among whatever meeting or interaction that it might be. Um, but also like, 
moving forward with, with the confidence that I have now in, um, in that my age isn't a hindrance, I'm really looking to leverage my youth rather than like hide from my age. So um, I, I think like innovation and, you know, youthful energy and, and, um, and stuff like that is something that like I really want to push harder as I finish the year and, and um, more in my business next year and stuff like that. So showing up to um, different interactions, be it like with our branding and, and everything like that, just really leveraging where a young company um you know where we don't have the prior hang-ups of older generations and stuff like that we you know we're very innovative we have a mission to do things more sustainably more environmentally friendly and um and leveraging that rather than shying away from our youth yeah i think something as well i'd love to add on that i've seen a way in which you kind of overcame that obstacle from me watching you growing a beard growing a beard yeah that was my answer um and I have a lot of admiration for this as well, is that when you would, you know, walk into a room with someone who was, you know, say late fifties or something like that, and they would start talking about something and you already knew all the answers um, and stuff like that, rather than trying to prove your point and prove how much you know, and, you know, going out of your way to prove yourself and be like, yeah, I know because X, Y, Z, you would almost sit back and bite your tongue and let them think that they're teaching you and advising you. And then just by you listening, they then built up more like respect for you and things like that. Whereas if you had a coming gums blazing and had an ego and things like that being like, yeah, I know I'm already doing this or, you know, jumping over, trying to prove yourself. If they've already got a limiting belief that age equals like lack of knowledge or age equals lack of experience or whatever it may be. And then you're trying to do that. They're already going to be deflecting you because they already have a limiting belief around age. Versus if you come in with like so much respect for them and making them think that they're teaching you something and it gives them a little ego boost, um, it makes them kind of like, I guess, soften up to working, yeah, the idea of working with someone younger and things like that. And then once the relationship was built, then you could come forward with a lot of your knowledge and, and things like that. And it was like letting the relationship come first before trying to prove yourself and, oh, yeah, I'm young, but I'm, I'm X, Y, Z. And that's something that I've, I've watched and I, I really admire as well. Yeah, and, like, and on that as well, I think you really need to um, be able to respect your ego and really put it aside in, in these interactions. And even now, you know, like I've been on site with a real estate agent and a potential purchaser and my development manager and we're talking and you know, this potential purchaser has just dismissed any thought that I could be the developer behind this project, you know. Um, it doesn't matter if I'm wearing a shirt with Leadland on it, it doesn't matter if the agents introduced me as the developer, you know, they've just come up with this conception that um, this can't, this $50 million project can't be at the, can't be coming to my decisions, you know, I, I'm not in control of this. So conversations unfold and then you know we can be we can really let our ego aside and not correct them and, and use that to you know strategy as well when you know the potential purchasers you know oh, can you put this to your boss you know me and my development manager can laugh and take five steps away pretend to make a phone call and come back and say the boss won't let us do that you know you're gonna have to pay full price and 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 they feel into that and you know so we've we've definitely leveraged um being able to put our ego aside and just um, let people think what they want to think. And, and sometimes um, there's a better outcome to 
letting people make their assumptions and um, and not fighting against that. And you know, you, you should never deceive someone, but if if you can see that they really want to believe what they want to believe, that let them have their truth and and um, you know go about your commercial business without having to really oppose that or disrupt that too much. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, I think this question was the one I was speaking about earlier um, where we said we're probably not the maybe the best people to speak to for this or especially yourself because it wasn't something. But anyway, how did you set up bank accounts set slash um, separate accounts, separate banks to maximize savings? Yeah, I'm really not, um, I'm not big on savings at all. Um, I've just never really focused on saving. I've always focused on earning. So, um, you know, I, I learned from a young age that if you want something, you, you work hard and you can, you know, if you can add value to somebody, be it your employer, business, whatever, you know, you get a job, you work hard, you make money, then you get what you want. I was never taught that you, you get a certain amount and you save that and then you get what you want. I, it just wasn't something that I learned. And I think nowadays with interest rates as low as they want, as low as they are, you know, you put your money in the bank, you don't get any interest for it. So saving is something that I've uh, never really focused on. There's plenty of um, resources out there now, you know, apps and um, strategies and stuff like that for saving. But I think if I was saving for something, I think I would just be aligning um, my saving habits with the desired outcome. So I would be trying, if I was saving for, uh, if, I, if I needed 50 grand to start a business and I was saving for that, I would make sacrifices everywhere I could. And as I was making those sacrifices, I would try and really reinforce the connection with, you know, I'm not eating out for breakfast this morning because I want to start this business and, and have an impact or, you know, get freedom with the life, whatever it is. I would really just try and reinforce that connection. So you had a purpose behind what you're doing. If you're just trying to save for the sake of saving, I think like um, that is really tough to, to try and scrape through and limit your spending if you, if you don't have a desired outcome. Yeah, especially if you're trying to do things like maximizing savings on interest in bank accounts, but then your spending habits are, you know, you're doing spending that's not even aligned with the greater vision in terms of we've spoken about like buying Gucci shirts because everyone's got a Gucci shirt. So you'll buy that, but then you're, you're focused on the savings and on your interests and stuff like that. We'll sacrifice the Gucci shirt and buy from Target. Like, I don't even know, like that kind of thing with what you're speaking about, being cautious of like where you're spending as well and, and saving more through not spending. Um, versus me, I, I spend because I just think that savings doesn't add to my quality of life versus spending does. Yeah, I mean, like people say, or I think previous generations always said, you know, you gotta have money put away for a rainy day. But I think now is is also a perfect example of like, there is a lot, you know, people will argue and um, jump up and down about this, but fuck it, there's a lot of socialism within our um, society. so. I think now's a perfect example, you know, whatever the statistics are, um, you know, nearly 50% of people live paycheck to paycheck and uh, with unemployment at around 20% or whatever it is now, people aren't on the streets, you know, um, consumer spending is up, you know, Harvey Norman, it, it, they're doing more sales than what they've ever done before, e-commerce is going crazy, but, but all these particular brands that if, if a consumer can buy their product at the moment, they're fucking buying it. Um, the Australian government, you lose your job, they give you money. 
you lose your house, they give you somewhere to live. So to have money put away for a rainy day, you know, we have incredible healthcare. Um, I think that, yeah, I think it's, I don't think it's great to live paycheck to paycheck. Like I, I strongly disagree with doing that, but to have large amounts of money sitting there just for if something happens, I think, you know, we're so fortunate in this country um, that we don't have to do that. Yeah, really well said. This is somewhat deep, I guess. What are some tough questions that keep you up or fears you have? Um, my biggest fear now is not progressing. So for me to think that I'm not growing as a person or developing as a partner or building my business, that is probably my biggest fear at the moment. I don't have any financial fears like I, um, I've set myself up and um, I've got you know assets in in trust that they're not you know I don't have any debt against those they're not tied to my project so god forbid something happened with my business you know I'm I don't have to have money worries and stuff like that I can continue my lifestyle as I um, live it for, for the indefinite future so I don't lie away thinking of that sort of thing but I lie away thinking what happens if if I sell 70 properties this year but i only sell 25 next year you know that kind of thing just makes me feel sick even fucking talking about it um you know what happens if my strength drops in the gym next year and you know my health deteriorates next year compared to what it was this year so um going backwards is is what keeps me awake at night yeah what have you both actively done to create such a deep connection and understanding (laughs) You can answer this. Uh, Oscar was making hand movements then, but you guys don't have to know that. Um, what have we done to create a deep connection and understanding? Communication, I think. Communicating. It is one of my highest values. And when when we actually first met, Oscar was not a fan of communication. Not in that you weren't a fan of it, but you found it really challenging, I would say. Yeah. Would you agree? Yeah. Uncomfortable. When I say challenging, probably more so uncomfortable. And I think me being open about the importance of communication for me. And I think that there are so many instances with couples where you don't communicate and you can think you know what the other person's thinking or you can assume what the other person's thinking and what they're actually thinking could be so far from what's going on in your head. And the only way to actually get an understanding of what's on their mind or what their values are or what their goals are or how they're feeling, all of that kind of stuff is by asking and is by talking about it and being open and being vulnerable and being honest, even if it is a really, really difficult and challenging conversation. Um, we had a lot of discussions that involved letting letting the ego go in order to be able to grow, like having conversations where we'd literally sat in front of one another and said, you know, what's something about my personality that if you think I worked on would improve our relationship and I know something that you said to me at the start of our relationship that I was really stubborn which is absolutely the truth I was I was a very very stubborn person in conflict I didn't like being wrong I didn't like being the one to apologize or anything like that and so being able to hear that and rather than have ego come straight up and walls up and say I'm not stubborn which is like the the irony of that um and being able to go away and work on that and stuff so I think being able to have open conversations 
you know, have walls down, no ego and allow the other person to express themselves and express their needs without judgment and without criticism. And then slowly over time that builds trust in the relationship and makes the other person feel safe to express their needs. And then it kind of falls on that cycle of trust, respect and connection. Would you, what else would you think? No, I, I remember sitting down and you sat with me and you're like, listen, you're just too funny, too outgoing and too supportive. And I remember thinking, fuck, you're right. I really got to try tone it down a little bit. And you're right. Communication is just the key to mm. Mm. deep connection. Yeah, absolutely. We have lots of deep discussions as much as Oscar Stop loves them. <laughs> okay. Cool, 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 cool. Is starting your own business as scary as what it seems? Mm, scarier. Mm. Can you elaborate on that? Um, yes, probably only for myself. But for me, um, the fear of failure back then was so much more real and impactful than what it is now. Now, like... For me, starting a business and failing is just like, that's what happens. I think it's like 97% of businesses fail within the first five years. So, um, but at the time when you're in it, you know, thinking, you know, you're love, you, you're losing loved ones, you're having relationships break down, you're losing friends, you're giving away all your personal time, you're investing everything you ha- you have. And to think that there's a strong statistical probability that it will all be for nothing within, you know, the first two years. And then if you make the first two, then within the five, you know, it's fucking disgusting. Like who would want to do that? Who would want to put everything they have, their heart and soul, bet all their relationships on it, and then be up against statistics that we are in Australian business that, you know, you are most likely going to fail. It's fucking terrifying. Mm. Absolutely. And I know, yeah, we spoke about the humiliation earlier as well. And for me, I know that starting out my business, mine was definitely Oh my God. You know what I'm saying? Um, the humiliation. Yes, from others, but very much more strongly from myself. Um, putting high expectations on myself and not meeting them. Oh. It makes me feel sick thinking mm. about that, like letting myself down. Yeah. Um, yes. So on that, if you, if somebody, you know, around you, a loved one or even a stranger is starting a business um, and you have an opportunity to support them, then you should. And if you don't feel like you want to support them, don't do anything to the detriment of them. Don't talk shit about them or, you know, if, if your ex is starting a business and, you know, you've got some sort of personal grudge. Don't make shit harder for them, you know. Um, business is fucking tough. So, um, re- regardless of any personal issues, that I think you should have some level of respect for anybody starting a business. Yeah, I love that. What's the return of investment on the warehouse building and selling them? Um, I think the commercial, uh, like retail residential, industrial development really um, as a broad industry has a return on cost of, I would say around 20%. Most people go into projects anywhere from 20 to 25%. But then when 
you know, you take into account real costs and blowouts and um, all that sort of stuff. I would say that that average return on cost for um, a property development project is around 20%. Um, but for a number of reasons that I won't go into on this podcast, mine are a lot higher than that. Yeah. Let's add in a fun question. Your sock game is on point. Any recommendations? Oh, get socked at you. <laughs> for the goods. Is that them? Are you for wearing the them now? No, these are shitty ones. I go to them in a home and they're uncomfortable. Uh, these are happy socks. Happy socks. Making me unhappy. Not as good as... Get socked at yeah. you. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Thoughts on e-commerce and drop shipping? I don't even know what drop shipping is. Yeah, I mean, it's just an e-commerce platform where you don't actually physically touch the stock. You know, you don't buy the stock and then sell it on. It goes straight from... Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think it's fine um, if you're passionate about the industry and, um, you know, you you want to be an expert in that industry. You think you can add value to the market, then, um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Cool, 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 cool. Can you tell we watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine? By the amount of times. I think we've already said that three times in this podcast. So that's cool. Doesn't Arved say that in... Um... No, Jake Peralta. Cool. Yeah, but, but Arved in um, Community. Community also, time. yeah. Two of our favorite shows. How important is maintaining good momentum for you? Momentum is everything in your business, in your relationships, in your fucking life. Like, um, I think momentum is super underrated. And I think like when you have it, um, you need to capitalize on, you know, um, if you get going and you gain some momentum, the last thing that I think you should do is ease up, take a break, pull back, get fear of burnout or, you know, any of those things. I think momentum is just incredible. You know, you start getting some results, and then you start feeling good about yourself. So, you, you know, you improve on your discipline and you're feeling motivated more. So you're showing up more and, um, you know, you're operating from a place of love, not fear. So you perform better, then you get more results. And then, you know, the industry takes notice of you and you, you, you know, get one of those make or break exposures or, or opportunities or something like that. And I think um, every business gets those, you know, once in a lifetime opportunities come about for businesses, you know, occasionally, but if you don't have momentum, you won't be in a position to capitalize on them. So I think when you start to get it, you, you really need to like knuckle down and, and try and leverage that as best as possible. Absolutely. And I can completely vouch for the fact that when you listen to that momentum, you can create a domino effect that not only applies to business, but it actually dominoes on all other areas of your life and stuff like that. Like even flashback a couple of months ago, middle of the pandemic, your business just absolutely booming, you know, how your relationship was with your team at work, how you were coming home with energy, our relationship, how it impacted that, like your health, how much more energy you had for training and gym. It's just like when you listen and you lean into that momentum, and then it just ripples into all other areas of your life and everything gets momentum. Mm. Should you start your business during this pandemic? Um, I think you, if, if you have a business idea and strategy where you can be successful during a pandemic, then yeah, don't wait. But if you plan on starting an in-person events business in Victoria, probably not the time to do so. Or mm. if you want to open up like a fine dining restaurant, probably not the time to do so, but if um, you're in e-commerce or even if you're in events, but you're, if you're doing digital events and stuff like that and you, you can disrupt that, those industries, um, there's huge opportunity in, um, 
in the Australian market, there's a credible opportunity in the Victorian market because you know we're, we're having these government restrictions imposed on us. And I think there's opportunities to come on the back end of this pandemic with um, larger societal shifts. Um, you know, some friends of mine have started a medical supplies company within the last 12 months and they're doing fucking crazy Is that dog snoring? Yeah, Willow snoring. They're, they're doing crazy stuff. You know, they've started a business in the pandemic. Um, there's been an opportunity. They've seen it. They've capitalized on it. And um, they're making bank. So I think you should definitely start your business during a pandemic if you can see it working out. Awesome. Do you guys do goal planning together? If so, what are the top three things you guys work on? Uh, we don't really do goal planning together so much. I mean, we look at your goals together sometimes and, and we, we go over your goals together, but we don't set goals as a couple. Um, I don't know why. I just don't feel mm. like... I think if you... I think goals are more powerful when they're an individual. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I couldn't work towards your goals. You couldn't work towards my goals. So if we're trying to create a goal that um, aligns for both of us, I think that it'd be less impactful. But, I mean, if, if couples are setting goals together and that works for them, then awesome. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the, the, the likelihood of setting a goal together and both people being able to meet 50% right in the middle of like, there's always going to be one person who cares more about that goal than the other person. Like you just can't have exactly equal momentum. Yeah. Well, not desire. Even that they, they care more just, they, they have more resources, they have yep. more ability, whatever. Um, but yeah, I think for, mm. for them both to show up and, and, um, pursue that goal. Yeah. 50% each is, um, is difficult. And vision's different. Like we are very, very aware of each other's long-term vision. I think being, as I said, communication being such a high value for me, communicating your long-term vision together. Awesome. Like if one of, like if you didn't know that you are expecting to fall pregnant in six months, whereas your partner doesn't want a baby for like seven years down the track and you didn't communicate that, well, you're both kind of really working on different life paths and things like that. So being able to communicate, what's your long-term vision? Do you want kids? When do you want kids? How much do you want to travel? Like, do we want to own a house or do we want to rent? Like all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. But, but in terms of structured goal setting, yeah, completely individual for us. Um, Good job, Jesse. Thank you. <laughs> what level of ruthlessness do you think is fair when it comes to removing negative influences? When you're deciding on who should be removed or if somebody should be removed, I think you have to be incredibly ruthless. But when you're removing those negative influences, I don't think you have to be ruthless at all. So if... Um, your mother is a negative influence on me, on, on me, on my mum is, my mum's the best. So mum, if you're listening, I love you. I'll call you later. But if your mother is a negative influence on you, I think you have to be ruthless in the fact that she's your mum, you know, she gave you everything you've got, she created you, all that sort of stuff. And you've got to be thankful for that. But you need to be ruthless and, um, you know, nobody who's having a negative influence on you should escape that. Um, decision but I think the way that you impose what you're trying to do doesn't have to be ruthless at all you don't call your mum up and say listen mum I'm trying to better myself and every time we get on the phone you talk about negative shit like I'll catch you you know see you at the funeral you don't have to do shit like that I think you just have to make a conscious effort to 
you know, when, if she calls and she's talking about global warming, you don't want to hear it, you just need to zone out or, um, you know, you don't go out of your way to absorb the energy that she's putting out. I don't have to, I don't think you have to be ruthless about how you deliver it, but I think you need to be ruthless on how you determine if someone's staying or going in your space. Mm. Setting clear boundaries and just like actually executing on deciding, yep, got to set this boundary, got to remove this person, but how you do that, no, no ruthlessness at all. Um, cool. I'm going to pick three more questions. Let's go with a fun one first. What's the next car you're going to get? Um, not hundred percent sure. It'll be something, it'll be cool, but it won't be incredible. Uh, I got to buy a car before Christmas, but it's not going to be Lamborghini, not going to be a Ferrari. So, um, it's nothing crazy, but it'll be nice. Cool. What's one thing you do to get away from the hustle and bustle to recharge? Um, I really don't like, um, I mean, there's a few little moments like watching a good movie or like cold showers. Like if you can stand in a cold shower for two minutes, I can tell you now, you will not be thinking about your problems. Mm. You'll be thinking about like how you're still standing there and you know, why I'm doing this. Yeah. Um, why does it hurt so much? So, um, I think meditation is something that I'm trying to do more and it tries to draw me away from a busy mind and stuff like that. But really, um, I don't switch off. I don't escape what I'm trying to do. I just link everything that I'm doing back to my why and, and my purpose. And, um, yeah, that sort of really just drowns it out. Yeah, absolutely. What do you do, Jesse? What do I do? Uh, exercise, meditation, walking. Yeah, that too. <laughs> um connection connecting holidays but similar to what you said like neither of us are ever off and i don't think we ever want to be off but just doing things that allow for more space and more flow and things like that you're a big person on short holidays quick getaways just a little zip zip in and out like not not a real switch on switch off but yeah similar to you i guess minus the cold gels (laughs) i'm not gang all right, last question. Oh, is that a good one? That's a good one. Oh. I, I think it's going to G you up. Oh, already G'd up. <laughs> Best way to advertise or market, I don't mind paying, but I need to see a return. Oh, that question is juicy. So, good question. And I think this question, don't move the microphone closer to me. People can hear. People can fucking touch you. Take the mic. Okay, um, I think this question really highlights a shortfall of a lot of businesses at the moment and I think it highlights a shortfall that will uh, be more evident uh, to a lot of businesses in the future. With the emergence of digital marketing, people have really started to focus on the ROI of their advertising and, and this question says like, I'll spend anything on marketing as long as it, it, I can see the return. So I'll spend 20 grand on Facebook ads as long as it you know, nets me 50 grand in sales, I can cover my costs and make some money, then I'll do that. But, and I think that's huge at the moment and, and you know, Facebook advertising is pumping, you know, the biggest company in the world, or one of the biggest companies in the world and all these digital platforms are, you know, they're performing hugely for the shareholders of the advertising company. 
but I think uh, the consumer is losing attention for, for these ads. And I think that um, businesses in the last five years haven't focused enough on branding. So we want to spend $10 on ads and, and make $30 in sales, but we don't want to spend $10 on branding. And what I mean by that is, you know, back in the 80s, Coca-Cola would spend millions of dollars on having Coca-Cola ads on TV. You know, they, they didn't say, oh, we've spent $500,000 this week on ads across Australia to pump Coca-Cola and we've got this many dollars in sales because they didn't have the parameters and the ability to track the ROI on that branding. But you've never met anybody in your life who doesn't know Coca-Cola because they've built an incredible brand. So I think uh, in the same way, you know, we all now, and there's this whole false narrative about it for, for evil reasons. You know, you've got coaches on Instagram that tell you that they can set up any business and give you an incredible funnel and everybody knows what a funnel is and or everybody has heard the term funnel put them in a funnel make more than what you spend you know you're making profit it's easy but nobody is spending money on branding and and getting um brand awareness or not nobody but i think people aren't focusing on it enough so um i would advise you to keep your direct uh, measurable roi you know your digital marketing budget as it is but I would um, also advise to have a good branding strategy um, because you know I think that the consumer is just really just so close to switching off. You know I get frustrated. One more fucking ad. You know YouTube's just really up the amount of ads in their videos, and the consumer's getting so frustrated by it. Mm. You know if whoever asks this question, you know say if you're selling motorbikes and and I'm watching. A YouTube video on something I'm interested in and your motorbike comes up you know I'm cursing your name now I'm like fuck you you know mm. I don't want to see your motorbike I'm trying to watch a video on fucking dolphins blowing bubbles or cats playing with whatever so I think the consumer is really ready to despise that sort of marketing but I think there's a huge place for you know real creative branding strategies um, so I think that's something mm. that will really um, rear its head in the next I think it's starting to happen now, but in the next five years, like people will be so fucking annoyed at um, those directly measurable digital ads. Yeah, I love everything you just said and <laughs> drop the mic. Um, like, and I can speak to that from an entirely different business. I mean, from my own business and my own experience as well, there's been so many times where I've been like, you know, oh, should I be doing Facebook ads and should I be doing like that? But I'm actually focused on building real connection with my audiences and things like that. So not only building more real connection um, through partially through branding and stuff, but also client fulfillment. So how am I serving the clients I currently have? Um, and like, I think even like changing the word client to customer, like if you've got a product-based business, if you are spending so much money on marketing and people, there are so many people buying your product through Facebook and then they get the product and your product is shit or your customer service is crap, word of mouth is going to travel so fast and like people are going to stop buying from you. And I've seen that happens with brands that have trended like so high for like three months, word of mouth come around and they're dead. Like you don't even see them anymore because mm. they were just a bad product with bad customer service. And that's going to travel. So how are you serving your clients? How are you serving your customers? Like, are you, do you have good customer fulfillment? Do you have good client fulfillment? Do you have good, um, you know, what's the back end system of your company like? You know, I know, I don't know if it's the same for guys, but I know how much girls like 
oh, absolutely froth over the tiny little details of when they get, you know, a e-commerce delivery and it comes out and it's in a pretty package and you open it up and there's pamphlets inside and tag us on Instagram and things like that. And then, you know, it, it comes quickly. The postage is fast. You know, all of those other tiny little details are so, I guess, overlooked so, so much of the time. So yeah, exactly right. You know, instead of spending 10 grand next month on Facebook ads selling your product, each product that goes out this month, put a little gift in there, put a hand written note you know i i can it's immeasurable but i can guarantee that you know if you spend 10 grand on gifts handwritten notes you know taking the time somehow to have an impact on those customers that will come back the mm. roi on that will be bigger but you won't be able to tell me what the you know the, the click rate is or um the multiplier is so i think people have to just sort of um, get out of this ro direct roi headspace and um and start trying some of the strategies. Yeah, I love the answer to that question. Um, and a beautiful way to finish off as well. I know we didn't get through all the questions, so we may have to get Oscar back for 2.0. We'll see. Um, already had to like basically chain him down here for this one. So <laughs> get the handcuffs out. Thank you so much for taking time to come on the pod. It's been a pleasure. See you still. Peace. <laughs> Peace. Bye, guys. Thank you for tuning in.